This morning, obviously, we are uh, here for Easter Sunday and, you know... Uh, and, and all that that really entails and means. And, you know, and there's so much about Easter that I believe many times that we can make it about a lot of things that it's really not about. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the main thing and really the focus is simply that, hey, Jesus came, right? I mean, that is the point. It's not just that he died, but he couldn't die if he never came. And yet the Bible says that he didn't think of himself or even as being God. But the Bible tells us that he took on the form of a servant and he came to stand in our place. And, and it's so important that we understand these things and, and really grab hold of it. And so I've got a message in my heart for you this morning and, uh, that I've been working on. And uh, just really in the last couple of days, the Lord really kind of started bringing it really into focus for me. And, uh, but I want to start this morning uh, with prayer. And then we're going to get into uh, the, 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 the message for today today. And so uh, let me just pray and then we'll jump right into it. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together. Father, I thank you that even in the, the midst of all that's going on in the world and all around us, Father, I thank you that we can have hope in you, Father, because your word is true. And, Father, that you watch over your word to bring it about in our life. And so, Father, we thank you so much for this day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That it's more than just his resurrection, but it's also our resurrection. That it's, it's us stepping into new life as well that he's provided for us. And so, Father, we just thank you that we celebrate his life, but we also celebrate the life that we now get to have through him. Him. And so, Father, we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this morning, uh, uh, I want to share some things with you, but how many of you like movies? Anybody? Anybody like movies? Okay, so I like a certain type of movie. And I like a, uh, the type of movie that I can't figure out or that I think I've figured out. And then there's a, a plot twist in the end. And I'm like, man, I just did not see that coming. How many of you like those kind of movies? You know, I'm like, dang, they got me, you know. And I love those types of movies, or maybe it's that type of movie where I'm like, I have no clue what is going on. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not. And then all of a sudden, it's like there's the, the clarity comes, right? And it's like, oh, now I understand how they just robbed that bank. Or I, I understand how they pulled this off or how they pulled that off. I just, I like those types of movies that, you know, and, and how many of you have a movie in mind right now? Something that you're thinking of, you're like, oh yeah, I know, yeah, I know, that, that's that movie for me. And, you know, and, and there's so much to be, you know, and I believe that there is something to be said for great writing and, and great um, scripts and those types of things and and yet we know the story of easter and today of course it is easter and we are here to celebrate uh really the resurrection of jesus who is the savior of the world if you don't know he came for you he came for me and and this is the story of easter and and we should absolutely celebrate it. it's a historic moment in history not just in our church life but even in the span of of chronology if you look at the span of history, even our calendar and dates and things, Jesus actually altered all of that. So even just from a historic standpoint, it's an important time. But it's also a very important part of the story of humanity as well. And every one of us get to participate as part of humanity. Because here's the thing is that just as I was just talking about with movies and how they're well written and I love how there's the pl a plot twist and there's always this kind of this unexpected angle is that Jesus is actually a brilliant author too. Is that he writes some pretty incredible stories. Now he writes it different than pen and paper. He actually writes it the Bible says on the hearts and the minds of men and of women. 
And so that being us. And so, you know, and if you just look at his own story. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before all that we know was here, Jesus was there. And God had a plan that said, hey, if my creation messes up, I've got a plan B. And so if we look at really the story of Jesus, he appears on the scene after 30 years of pretty much obscurity. But in three and a half years, he does some pretty incredible things. There's accounts of him walking on water, multiplying food for thousands of people out of just a few little baskets. Took a boy's lunch and fed thousands with it. It's pretty amazing. But he's doing miraculous things. The Bible says that he went about doing good and healing all. Everywhere that Jesus went, people were were being healed. People were being um, strengthened by him. It says that he healed the sick, that he even raised the dead. I mean, he's, you know, he's doing things that are kind of mind-boggling, right? On, the, on a daily basis, there's things happening all the time. Uh, Luke says it this way. He says, if we wrote down everything that Jesus accomplished, there aren't enough books in the world to contain it. Now, I don't know if he's just writing that for effect or not. But there's a lot that Jesus did that we don't even know about. We do know some from the scriptures, but there's a lot that we don't know. I mean, can you imagine the conversations for his disciples? They wake up and they're kind of scratching their eyes in the morning, getting up. And they're like, man, what could happen today? And I would imagine one of them would say, man, there's no telling. We may see an arm grow out today. We may see somebody with all of a sudden have eyeballs. You remember that guy, Jesus spit in the dirt and he just kind of rolled up a little ball and just stuck it in his head. And all of a sudden there was an eyeball and the guy could see. Like, you remember that? I mean, how, how many of you would like to see something like that? I mean, pretty amazing, right? Well, what if that was the norm? Because that was the norm for Jesus. And the thing is, is that he's, and Jesus is changing people's story. You know, that discussion with the blind man. They bring him before the religious leaders, and I won't go through all the details, but the end of the story, they want to know, who was at fault for this man being blind? And I love the man's response. He says, you know what? I don't care. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. My story got changed because Jesus changed my story. See, Jesus is a brilliant author. And he does write some really incredible stories, including his own. But just as the disciples, I'm sure, were thinking and had thoughts of grandeur and what would happen and what would it be like when Jesus establishes his kingdom and, hey, I'm going to be his right-hand guy. And I'm sure Peter thought, I'm going to be the general of the army because that's just kind of the guy Peter was. So they had all these ideas, and then in a moment, it was all over. Even though Jesus had told them, guys, this is what's about to happen. They just didn't get it. It, They they weren't following the script that Jesus was telling them. He said, you know, uh, even Peter even makes the statement to Jesus, I I will die with you. Like, I'll go all the way to the end with you, Jesus. And and Jesus is like, Peter, save your breath. Like, by tomorrow, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, oh, no, I won't. 24 hours later, Peter is running away weeping because he's reminded of the words that Jesus had just spoke to him. See, all of a sudden, the whole story, the narrative had had changed for them. They had a picture of what the future looked like, and then all of a sudden, it was all over. The story came to an abrupt end, and Friday was a very dark day. Because that was the end of the story. That was the end of the line. This was like, man, we thought this was... This was him. But the good news was is that Sunday morning was coming. They just weren't aware yet. 
But on that morning, a woman goes to the tomb. And the stone is rolled away and she has an encounter with an angel and she steps in and doesn't see Jesus there. But she runs back and tells the disciples and those who have been following Jesus and said, Hey, he's risen from the dead. Remember what he said? Three days and you'll see me again. It happened. And so there's all these things that are happening. And so, you know, and it's really a beautiful story. It really is, but... And it changes not just his story, but it changes all of our story. It really changes all of humanity. And the thing is, is that I can't help but be amazed how Jesus really does change everything. Like, I don't care what you have on your mind right now. It doesn't matter how big of a problem that you may be facing is that Jesus actually can change anything. Just like I was just talking about when I said about the man who was blind, who could see. That's a big deal. It's not a big deal until you're the blind guy. Then it's a really big deal. And it doesn't, and look, and we all have things in our life. We all have struggles, if you will, that we're facing, but yet Jesus can change everything. See, if we think about our own story for a minute, for many of us in this room is that life is just rolling along. Me included. Life's just going along. I'm just being very human, being very normal. And then all of a sudden I had an encounter with Jesus and it changed everything. My story changed in a moment. Now I grew up in church. I grew up celebrating Easter. I I grew up taking the family pictures at church. Easter, here we are, but it never meant squat to me. Until one day I actually met the Jesus that Easter is for. And then my story began to change. It wasn't just religion. It wasn't just something that that we did. It had real meaning in my life. And I was jacked up like everybody else. And Jesus was faithful and Jesus was gracious and, and still is to me. And it's still working in my heart, still working in my life. Why? Because that's who he is. Because he's continually writing a story in my life and in your life. See, it's actually a wonderful thing when Jesus steps in and begins to write and to even rewrite some of our story. Because, see, sometimes we can actually get caught in the thought that Jesus just changes our future. Like, I get saved and then Jesus starts making things better. But do you realize that Jesus actually goes backwards too? He doesn't just write a new future. He actually can go back and rewrite the past and change the narrative of our story. And I'm going to give you an example of this here in the next few moments of a man who was actually hanging with Jesus on the cross. We call him the thief on the cross next to Jesus. And so if you want a title of my message today, it's this, is that Jesus is the master of the reversal. Jesus is the master of the reversal. Because what we think is going to be one way, Jesus says, yes, but I can rewrite something different. And I can make something completely different than what it looks like and what it has been said. And so I want to give you an example of this. It's the story of the criminal on the cross. And we're going to look at two pieces of of really two accounts of this. One being in Luke. We'll start there. And then I'm going to read just a portion out of uh, Mark's account as well. But in Luke 23, starting in verse 33. Now Jesus has been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been flogged. All these things have happened. They put the crown of thorns on him. He's actually on his way to Calvary. The hill of Golgotha. 
And so it says that when he came to this place called the skull, which that's because the rock looked like a skull, it says they nailed him to the cross. It says the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And yet Jesus prays and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Like, hey, if you really are who you say, that, that everyone says that you are, and you really are the Messiah, prove it. Like, just take, like, just reach over and pull the nail out, get down, and we're all going to believe. In Mark's account, it actually tells us this. In, in Mark 15, 29, it says, those who passed by shook their heads and spitefully ridiculed him. It says, aha, you boasted that you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Why don't you save yourself now and come down from the cross? Even the ruling priests and the religious scholars joined in the mockery and kept laughing among themselves. He saved others, but he can't save him help, save himself. Israel's king, is he? Let the Messiah, the king of Israel, pull out the nails and come down from the cross right now. We'll believe it when we see it. It says, even the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus began to taunt him and hurl insults at him. Now you think about this. Jesus is hanging on the cross, death penalty. He's got two guys who are in the same situation. And if you want to know what type of guys these are, think about it. They're being crucified too, and yet they're still insulting somebody else. Like, it's hard to catch your breath. The Romans had perfected crucifixion. To catch your breath, you actually had to push up on your feet to get the weight off of your shoulders. And they're, they're going to choose to use the breath that they just worked so hard for to yell an insult at Jesus. So, it gives you a picture of what these guys might be like. They might be a little rough around the edges. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And yet, here it says that they begin to ridicule Jesus. And so people are walking by screaming insults, yelling all kinds of things at him. As he's hanging there on the cross, and, and yet he's praying and saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, but yet this must happen. See, they're looking at Jesus just like one of the criminals to his left and to his right. And the criminals are thinking, these two guys are thinking, he's no better than we are. And so they're yelling, but something happened in the heart of one of these guys while he's hanging there. Maybe he heard Jesus' prayer. I don't know. Maybe it was just the way that Jesus responded. I have no clue why, but if we jump back over into Luke's account, chapter 23, starting at verse uh, 39, it says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed and said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And hey, while you're at it, get us down too. Hey, Jesus, you know, it would be pretty awesome if you got off, but I would really believe you if you got me out of here too. That would be amazing. But it says the other criminal protested and says, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? He says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today that you will be with me in paradise. Now, there's a couple things that I want to point out here about this man. We don't know why 
He looked to Jesus. We don't know what changed his heart in this moment because he went from making fun of Jesus to asking for his help. And so this is what we know about this man from several accounts in the scriptures. Number one, he was a thief. He was a revolutionary, Mark says. So he was an insurrectionist. He was looking to overthrow the Roman government. And so this is part of his penalty. But for sure what we know is that he was a criminal deserving of the death penalty. That's what we know about him. We don't know a whole lot, but we do know those couple of things. He's a career criminal. He, he's looking to stir up trouble all over the place. But in this moment, his heart begins to shift and his heart changes in a moment. And so, this is, and so we don't know what caused him to look to Jesus or what shifted his heart. But this is what we do know about him in this moment. Now, I can't speak to anything prior to this moment. But from what we just read in the scriptures is that number one is that he actually feared the Lord. Because he asked the other, he said, hey, what's wrong with you? Don't you even fear God at death? And what that really tells me is he actually had a proper view of God. He understood that, hey, I'm about to breathe my last. And when I do, I'm going to go give an account for my life. And so he has an understanding. And when we talk about fearing the Lord, it's not like I'm afraid or I'm going to pull back or I need to get away. No, it actually means to give honor and respect. And to, you know, and so it is that. So the man did have this honor and this respect for the Lord. The second thing he had was he had to put his faith in Jesus. He had to recognize that Jesus is wrongfully being crucified. So he, he, he had this trust or this fear of the Lord, but he had this faith and he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. You say, well, how do you know that? Because he looked at Jesus and says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can I come with you? Which means he recognized Jesus as king. He also understood that even though Jesus would die on that cross, that Jesus' story was not over. And he said, hey, I don't want my story to end right here either. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you allow me to come? And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me. Today. And the last part that we know is that ultimately is that he actually put his trust in Jesus. Why? Because that's why Jesus could tell him, hey, you're going to come with me because you put you're trusting you, you in, a, in our verbiage we would say he made Jesus his Lord in that moment he was surrendering his heart to Jesus and Jesus says in this moment that hey you'll be with me in paradise now can you imagine because this and this may rock some of your theology a little bit can you imagine like when this guy shows up to the gates of heaven and the angel's like, opens the book and says, what's your name? We don't know his name. Hi, I'm the criminal from the cross. I don't know his name. He's like, okay, well, glad you're here. Uh, how'd you get here? What do you mean? I, I have no clue. I, I, I was hanging on a cross and now I'm right here. I, I, I don't really know how I got here. And he's like, okay, well, hey, w- w- what church did you go to? Church? I've never been to a church. What are you talking about? What do you know about salvation? What's that? What do you know about the the doctrines of of the Bible? I have no clue. Then how did you get it? All I know is I met Jesus. I can't answer all your other questions. 
I don't know all the details and I don't know all the stuff about the story and I don't, I don't have all the pedigree to be here, but I met Jesus. And because I met Jesus, I think that's how I got here. I'm not quite sure, but I think that's how I got here. So I have good news for you today. You ain't got to have all the answers. You ain't got to have it all figured out. But what you do need to do is to surrender your heart to Jesus and to put your faith in him. And that's what matters. The rest of the details we can figure out. And it's okay if you ain't got them all figured out when you go to heaven. You can figure it out there. Right? So this is what we know that happened in this moment while Jesus is hanging on the cross, which really tells you his heart for people. Is that even with all of the struggle of the moment of hanging on that cross, Jesus is still thinking about somebody else. He's the ultimate servant. You know, the Bible never tells us that he even responded to the insults of anybody. Like, we don't even know that he responded to the guy next to him. There was... But yet he turns and he looks at this guy and he begins to have a conversation with him. And so what happens is that Jesus actually reverses this guy's story. He turns him from a criminal into a convert. He was known one way and yet it gets changed. He turns this sinner into a saint and he he turns this mocker into the member of the family. And this is important because he used to be nobody and now he's somebody in the family of God. And so in one moment, he's behaving one way, and in another, he's acting very different. See, Jesus really is the master of the reversal. He rewrites the scripts of our life. He rewrites our stories, if we will allow him. So let me give you a couple of examples of of what I mean by this. Is that Jesus takes our hurt, and he heals. He heals the hurt. He takes the brokenness, and he restores He takes our pain and he turns it into our purpose. If you really want to know, what does God want me to do? Go find the greatest place of your pain and that's probably the place that God wants to use you the most. You're like, yeah, but I don't want to go there. It hurts too much. Go back. Jesus, take that which hurts and he heals. And so once it gets healed, then it can turn into some purpose. See, Jesus takes that which was meant to destroy us and he uses it to build us up. See, here's the truth, is that he takes his death and he brings us into resurrection life. His death brings us life. See, and I would love for you to just get this statement in your mind. I hope it just really sinks into your heart. Is that Jesus' death certificate actually became our birth certificate. Jesus' death certificate, his death actually paved the way for new life for us. And so the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. It's a new birth. It's a new day. The story has been changed. The chapter heading is now different. There's a story that's been written all the days of your life. And I'm telling you, Jesus can change the narrative. He can change the story. He can go back into the past of your pain, redeem that pain, bring it back into your future that it could actually help you and other people. This is what Jesus does. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to contrast two people here because it's important for us to know. 
is that Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. It's in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. They were in the, the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect place, and yet we have this picture that sin comes in. And Adam ultimately sinned. Eve was deceived, Adam sinned. So, man, you can't use that against your wife no more, I'm sorry. I know you came to church for Easter for that fact, but Adam was the one who received the authority and the responsibility from the Lord. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. And so, here in Romans chapter 5, it actually compares Jesus and Adam. And so, I want to show you, or I want to read a couple of verses here out of Romans 5. I would encourage you, go read this whole chapter, if you will, to really get it all in context. But starting in verse 12, it says, When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered the human experience, and death was the result. And so death followed sin, casting its shadow over all of humanity, because all have sinned. Now, this is the great leveling field, is that every one of us, the Bible tells us, And I don't have to tell you. The Bible doesn't have to tell you. We all already know it. We know we're messed up. We know that something's not right. We know that there's a standard that we're just not quite living up to. You have a conscience. That's the seed of the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Whether you realize it or not, your conscience is actually God trying to talk to you. Now, we don't have to live based off of our conscience, but before we accept Jesus, that's the best we've got. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Well, why, how, let me ask you, how do you know that you shouldn't have done that? Because there's something on the inside of you. There's a God part of you. So there's no doubt, and I don't have to convince you that we're all sinners. We all know it. That happened because Adam fell. And when Adam fell, so did all of humanity that came after him. In verse 15, it continues and it says, There is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace. So, there's two words here that I really want to pull out. It says there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. And it says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is, the very, is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. That's where, your con- that's where your conscience tells you, like, you messed up. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't, whatever. That's your conscience. Sin leads to condemnation, guilt, shame, all of these things. It says, uh, so Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads us to being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. So here's the thing, is that we have to recognize that, hey, yes, I'm sinful. But yet God has provided a way through his gracious gift of Jesus that is greater than my sin. And we have to understand that God's grace is not in any way inferior to our mistakes. No, his grace is much greater much greater. In verse 18 of the same uh, chapter, it says, 
Uh, Just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. Because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, now there's life available to everyone. It goes on, it says, One man's disobedience opened the door for all of humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. It says, So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of sinfulness out of hiding. If you think you haven't sinned, just go read the Ten Commandments and see how far down the list you can get before you're like, oh, guilty. Because, look, I can't pass it. But that's why, but why, God brought the law, why? So that we would recognize our need for God. We would recognize our need for a Savior. So the law was introduced to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. It says, and yet, whenever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph over all the more. All the more. See, we're born into sin, our very nature, it's our default for living. Our human nature defaults to selfishness. And that leads to sin many times. But see, when Adam sinned in the garden, all of us fell with him. It wasn't just Adam's mistake. It was all of our mistake. We all get to pay the price for his choice. But Jesus came to reverse our default back to a relationship with the Lord. And so let me give you a couple of examples of how Jesus reversed our story. Because it's not just Adam's story. It's actually our story too. Is that Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane to be obedient to the Lord. He prays and says, God, if there's any other way, if I can do this any other way than the cross, but not my will, your will be done. But when Jesus was obedient in that garden, he undid Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. Adam and Eve hid behind trees because they were naked and ashamed when God came to talk to them. Yet Jesus hung on a tree naked and yet he conquered our shame. It's amazing these parallels. Adam and Eve began in paradise, perfection, this perfect place in fellowship with the Lord. And yet they were forced outside of the gate due to their sin, due to the curse of sin. But yet Jesus dies outside of the gates and ends up in paradise due to the cross. I mean, he, he literally is reversing what Adam did. Everything that Adam did, Jesus undid. Adam and Eve ushered in the curse of thorns. You can go read the account and it says it. But yet Jesus wears a crown of thorns as he ushers in salvation from sin. Jesus turns the the darkness of crucifixion into the light of resurrection. Like this is more than just a Bible story. This is more than Sunday school. There's real life application and life changing application to the story of Jesus. See, some of you are here today and, and you're in the midst of a lot of disappointment. You're in the midst of a lot of frustration, a lot of uncertainty may be going on in your life. And you're wrestling with things on the inside of you. And your today looks like Jesus' Friday. And it looks dark. But I have good news is that Jesus is still the Lord of resurrection. Not just on that Sunday morning that he rose from the grave. He still resurrects people's life. He still rewrites the stories of our life. 
But what happens is that many times people will settle to live in the shadow of the cross. In other words, I'm saved. Jesus is my Lord. But they never moved beyond the cross to actually enjoy the benefits that Jesus provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we have to move out of the shadow of the cross and actually into the light of resurrection. I mean, think about this. How much good would it have been for Jesus to have been resurrected from the dead and just sit in the tomb? I'm comfy. I got a blanket. I'm good. But you know, there was a lot of things that he had to do. And some of us, we may be saved. We're still sitting in that tomb. And Jesus is calling us out. Saying, come out into the light of resurrection because I have something better for you than just to sit there and wonder and question and and just replay your past. Jesus came to settle our past so that we could step into a new future. This is why Jesus came. See, Jesus wasn't just rewriting the ending of his story because that would have just stopped with him. That's not why he came. His story and him rewriting and really the the idea of him coming and being resurrected, it actually includes the potential that Jesus to rewrite our story as we would trust in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8, it said that if the devil, if the enemy, if the rulers of the age had known what was about to happen, they would have never crucified Jesus. They would have just let him keep doing what he's doing. Live out your life. But they thought, we got to stop this, and if we stop him, it's over. The problem was they didn't know the rest of the story. Those scriptures there, 2 Corinthians 2, 8 actually talks about that. That the plan was hidden from the enemy. And so he thought, man, I'm going to get Jesus, and then we're going to squash this real quick. No big deal. The thing that that the devil never counted on was that when Jesus rose from the dead, new life would come for humanity. He would reverse the curse on the earth. He would reverse the curse upon humanity. Hebrews 12, 2 calls Jesus, says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Another scripture says that he is faithful to complete the work that he starts in you. Salvation is not a one-time event. It's not a momentary thing. I get saved in a moment, but then I'm going to walk that thing out. And I'm going to allow Jesus to continue to work in me and develop me and to build me into the nature and his image. But that's a process. I get saved in a moment, but I'm going to experience salvation as I grow. as As I really begin to understand and grab hold of all that Jesus has provided for me. See, the story of Jesus, the gospel... Is what we would call it. You're like, well, what's the gospel? People may, ever, may ask you, have you ever heard the gospel? Well, what's the gospel? It's the story of Jesus. It really is the story of Jesus. And it's really quite simple. We try to complicate it. But yet, the two thieves on a cross give us a perfect picture. It's not any more complicated than that. One refused to believe while the other believed. That's the beauty of uh, of the Lord. He doesn't complicate things. He keeps it pretty simple. So the choice is, is, have we accepted what Jesus has done for us? Do we take the lead? Are we in charge? Or we surrendered to him saying, God, my life is not my own. My life has been bought with the blood of Christ. The apostle Paul wrote and said that it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. You can say it this way, is that I don't live for me anymore. Lord, what do you want? 
I belong to you. You're my Lord. You're in charge. You got, you've got the reins of my life. So what do, you, what do you want? And in that, God begins to write a new story. And it's a better story than you could ever write. It really is. I mean, I look back on my life and I did a terrible job of trying to write my own story. It was horrible. But then I met Jesus and he began to work on me and he began to help me to develop, to grow, to understand and to undo a lot of the mistakes that I had made and and all of the past that I had created. Jesus came and began to rewrite even my past. And so now what used to be painful and hurtful and shameful and all these things, now it's part of my story about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And see, in the same way that God did that for me, God will do that for you. Through the person and through the work of Jesus on the cross, he will absolutely do this for you. But this is what you have to know, is that salvation is a free gift. It doesn't, you can't get saved by your works. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. It's a gift from God. You can't, you, you will never be good enough. You'll never work hard enough. You'll never stop doing enough stuff. No, you just have to accept it. So salvation is a free gift. But following Jesus is going to cost you something. It will. Now here's the good news. Is Jesus may ask you to lay some things aside. He may say, hey, that's not good for you. But he's going to leave it up to you. See, Jesus doesn't force anything on anybody. He said, look, salvation is free, but if you want the fullness of that salvation, let me help you to walk in that. So, hey, this area of your life, let's tweak this some. Let's work on this. Let me help you. You know that pain that you don't want to talk about? Let Let me heal that. Let me work in that area. This habit, this this thing from your past, this this thing that you hope nobody ever finds out about. Let's just go ahead and settle it so you don't have to be afraid anymore. See, some of us walk around paranoid that I'm going to be found out. Somebody's going to find out about what I've done. Somebody's going to find out about my, my story. My dad was this way. When I was growing up, my dad never wanted to tell me about his teenage years. Like, never. He wouldn't talk about it. Because he was embarrassed by it. My dad was saved by the time I was born and serving the Lord, but he was embarrassed by his past. I didn't know about it until I was in my mid-twenties. He wouldn't, I mean, he just did all kinds of crazy stuff. But he was afraid if he told me that I would try to go do it. And yet part of my dad and his story is that God worked. Is that God changed him. Is that God began to to really work in his life and work in his heart and things begin to change. See, resurrection is more than a moment. It's more than a, hey, I'm going to surrender my heart to the Lord today. Real resurrection is a, it, 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 it's really a change of direction, a focus of our purpose. In Mark 8, Jesus calls out to the crowd and so there were his disciples and a lot of people were following him and, and he makes a statement to them and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way and take up your own cross and you've got to follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your life and try to figure it out and do it your own way, and he said, you're going to lose. It's not going to end the way that you want it to. He said, if you just try to keep trying to do it your own way, it's not going to pan out well in the end. 
He says, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the gospel, he says, you will save your life. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? And the answer is no. You can have all that this world has to offer and be absolutely bankrupt in your soul. You can have all the money, all the stuff, all the things, and you can be absolutely miserable. Why? Because none of those things can satisfy that God part of you. That What I was talking about earlier, your, your conscience. Your conscience longs for a connection with your creator. In the Old Testament, there's a, a scripture that says that eternity is actually hidden in the heart of every human being. I don't have to convince you that there's a God. Your conscience tells you that. Now, you can try to reason it away and look, and I did. I tried to, to figure every hole in the argument of why the Bible wasn't real. And ultimately, I landed that either Jesus is crazy or he's Savior. It's one or the other. It, there's really no other answer. And so I gave my heart to the Lord. Raised in church, didn't really care, all those kinds of things. But there was a moment that my faith became my faith. It wasn't borrowed from my parents. It wasn't borrowed from anybody else. It was, man, I had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus really changes everything. He really does. And he'll rewrite the story of your life and of your past. And he'll write a better future for you moving forward. So this is, this is my, my one thought for you is we're going to wrap up service this morning. Is that Jesus can still flip the script of your life even now. Look, it doesn't matter what your story has been up to now. Jesus will rewrite the story. When Jesus steps into hopelessness, there's hope. When Jesus begins to move into places of pain, there becomes healing. And this is more than just casual conversation in church. I mean, I'm telling you things that not just myself, but I've experienced all of these things. I've dealt with depression. I've dealt with anxiety. I've dealt with all kinds of things. And yet Jesus has healed. Jesus has worked. So I'm not just telling you theory. These are things that I've actually experienced in my own life. And I can tell you story after story after story about the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus. That when I needed him, he was there for me. That I've never been hung out to dry when I looked to him. Never. And so Jesus wants to rewrite the story, the narrative of your life. Now, it doesn't matter if you followed the Lord for years. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if, if this is all new to you. Remember, the thief on the cross knew nothing. And yet Jesus said, you're enough. It wasn't about his knowledge about Jesus. It wasn't about his knowledge about God. It was about his heart's willingness to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. Even in my dying breath, Jesus, I'm there with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, yes, you will be. See, it's about our heart and it's about accepting Jesus, really receiving him and to say, I accept the Lord. I receive him. That, it's that grace that you can't earn. This is what we celebrate at Easter is that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. And so I want to lead you in a prayer and I look I'm not going to call you